0: Pride is something I struggle with. I don't know about how many of you, but I, it's something I struggle with, thinking I'm better than I am, that I deserve what I don't. And pride can get in the way of so many things. This is probably one of the, the main reasons that so many people don't follow Jesus. It's why I didn't follow Jesus for so much of my life. Pride. Because when you accept Jesus, it's you saying, I need a Savior because I am not good enough and I am too sinful.
1: Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. I must first say happy birthday to my amazing wife, Pam. Happy birthday, honey. I love you so much. And speaking of Pam... We used to teach youth Sunday school. She had a girls' class. I had a guys' class. And there was a young man in my class named Drew McCullough. You know how high school boys can be full of energy and not so much with an attention span. I'm not saying Drew didn't pay attention because he was fairly quiet in class. And I really don't know if he or any of the other boys picked up on anything I taught. Hopefully, it wasn't too boring, though. But I've seen over and over through the years many of these same boys grow to be men have their own family, love God, and have great careers, some even in the ministry, like my friend Drew. He's now the student director at High Point's East Church campus after leaving a position from the corporate world. He and his wife, Brittany, are a great couple, pouring into the lives of young people with the truth of God's Word and His love for them. Recently, on a Sunday morning, Drew taught a message called, Posture Yourself to be Poured Out. On occasion, when I hear a message that truly moves me, I like to share it with friends. So, let's hear from Drew McCullough on today's show.
0: I want to ask you a question, and I want you to give me your honest feedback. because I don't want you to say what, what you think I want you to say. I want your honest answers. Here it is. If you had 24 hours left to live, what do you do? What do you do with your last 24 hours? You're not taking money or traveling time into consideration. What do you do? I had never really thought about this. But then as I thought about it, I figured, you know, I would want to eat some Muddy's cupcakes for breakfast. Because I don't normally eat breakfast and I definitely don't normally eat cupcakes for breakfast, but hey, 24 hours, why not, right? And if I am going to only have 24 hours left, I want to be a little risky, do something I normally wouldn't do. So maybe uh, I would go base jumping like those Red Bull guys or or go uh, skydiving or maybe uh, swim with some sharks. You know how they have those cages, shark weeks coming up, I've been told. They get in these cages and they see the sharks because uh, if my parachute doesn't come out or shark eats me or something and gets through the cage, who cares, I'll just die a few hours earlier, right? And then at some point during the day, I would want to get a medium rare steak. Because you cannot go wrong with a medium rare steak. I love, love, love a good steak. And if I'm not taking traveling and money into consideration, I would probably go to like the Grand Canyon or Greece because I've always wanted to go to these places and never been able to. So, hey, maybe I would go to Greece, jump off of a high cliff, base jump off of a high cliff, eating a cupcake into a big thing of shark infested waters, knock it all out in one instance, right? But the thing I noticed about all this stuff that was coming to my mind, maybe you noticed the stuff that kinda came to your mind, you were a little afraid to shout it out because you're like, man, it's all so selfish, right? It's all about me. When I have 24 hours left, all I think about is what I wanna do. I think about what's on my bucket list, what makes me happy. And it just reminded me how selfish I am, how selfish we are as people. But what's interesting is that with 24 hours left to live, we wouldn't actually act much different like outside of our character. We would just kind of take our selfish meter and turn it up 10 notches, right? Well, it's funny when Jesus knew that he had 24 hours left, he didn't act outside of his character either. He did the same thing that he had done every single day love and serve people he just took his humility meter and turned it up 10 notches because in john chapter 3 we see how jesus started off his last 24 hours washing his disciples feet so if you have your bible you have your bible app you can turn to john chapter 13 starting in verse 1 chapter 13 it was just before the passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go into, sorry, go go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus had been alive for about 33 years and now John starts to log his last 24 hours. And multiple times in the book of John, it says how Jesus knew his time had not yet come. His hour had not yet come come, but here it says, Jesus knew his hour had come. Jesus knew it was time to do what he came to do. He knew what was about to happen. He was about to go to the cross. Now over the next five chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, there is a huge emphasis on the love of Jesus, everything he does, everything he says, and it's all prefaced by verse one of chapter 13. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when we see the phrase to the end, we think end stops, meaning it goes and then it stops, ceases, right? But the Greek words used for to the end is actually "ice telos, eis telos. And what that means is to the uttermost, to the full extent, without limits. So it's saying Jesus knew what was about to happen? And he kept going because he loved his people without limits. He loved you without limits. His disciples without limits. And so Jesus knew what was about to happen. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. See, Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem uh, for the Passover festival and they came to, to a meal and they, they came to, to have the evening meal. And if you don't know who Judas is, he is one of the disciples and he is the one who ends up betraying Jesus and getting him arrested. And John makes a point to say at this moment, during this meal, Judas, it was already in his heart, he was gonna betray Jesus. He was gonna betray him and he was looking for an opportunity and Jesus knew that. Verse three, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What's cool about verse three is we don't normally get insight into why Jesus does what he does, right? But here in verse three, John lets us kind of peek behind the curtain and see why Jesus was about to do what he was about to do. And it's because Jesus knew his identity. He says, Jesus knew that the father, he knew he was the son of God. He knew that the father had put all things under his power. He knew that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. And he knew where he came from and where he was going, not just to the cross, but after raising from the dead, he knew he was going right back to the right hand of God. Jesus knew his identity. And John stresses in verse three that Jesus knew his identity and his authority and his power to help us see the huge act of humility that was about to happen. Look at the next few verses. Verse four. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him now to us this seems weird right this seems super weird jesus taking off his outer clothing like what is going on here what jesus was doing here is he was taking off his outer robe his outer traditional robe to take the posture of a servant He was taking off his robe, wrapping a towel around his waist to take the posture of a servant and wash his disciples' feet. Now washing feet is also not a very normal thing for us. I don't know about you, but I have never washed feet at my house. If you come to the Makala house, you come with your feet washed (laughs) or you leave your shoes on the entire time. I'm not touching them, right? But back then in this part of the world, washing feet was a normal custom. It was a normal custom because it was a dusty area. People wore sandals, their feet were dirty. So this was a normal form of hospitality. This was a normal form of hospitality. And traditionally, when they came to meals like this, they would sit at these short uh, U-shaped tables and they were called a triclinium, say triclinium. They would arrange themselves around this triclinium in order of status and importance and honor. There's no chairs, because they didn't sit. They reclined. They kind of laid on their left side, on their left elbow, so they could use their their right hand to eat, because that was the proper way to eat. They used their right hand, and they would kind of lie next to each other, and their feet would kind of go out to the outside, away from the table, Throughout the meal, someone, a servant, would come along and wash everyone's feet. Though most of the stuff going on in this situation is pretty normal, one thing was not. It was not a servant who washed their feet. It was Jesus. And what I love here is that we get a picture of Jesus doing what the disciples would not do. See, washing feet was reserved for the people of the lowest status, the lowest. The disciples would never dare wash the other disciples' feet because they would say that they were less than, that they were a lower status than the rest of the disciples, so they would never do that. So instead, Jesus, the rabbi, the master, the head of the table, the Messiah, king of kings, got on his hands and knees and washed The disciples feet. And that included Judas, the one that he knew was about to betray him. And it's hard for us to kind of understand this, but this would have been super shocking to these guys. Look at what Peter's reaction is. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing, Jesus? You're trying to wash my feet? What are you doing? How can the master serve the servants? Peter was astonished. He was confused what was going on here. And Jesus just kind of says, like, yeah, you don't get it. Peter's like, no, duh, I don't get it. What are you doing? Like, get, no, absolutely, you're not washing my feet. See, Peter had these expectations of who should and shouldn't wash his feet. But he didn't understand the incredible act of humility that Jesus was showing in this moment. And his pride wouldn't allow him to be served. And Jesus is saying, hey, you have to humble yourself to receive what I'm offering. Don't let pride get in the way of being served by the king of kings. Don't let your pride get in the way. Now, I don't know about you, but Peter is someone that I can identify with. I can sympathize with. Pride is something I struggle with. I don't know about how many of you, but it's something I struggle with, thinking I'm better than I am, that I deserve what I don't. And pride can get in the way of so many things. This is probably one of the the main reasons that so many people don't follow Jesus. It's why I didn't follow Jesus for so much of my life. Pride. Because when you accept Jesus, it's you saying, I need a savior because I am not good enough and I am too sinful. Pride. Pride. It is so hard for people to put their pride aside because accepting Jesus is is acknowledging that the one who created them had to come and die for them because they are so sinful. Pride. But not just that. Pride gets in the way of us allowing our friends and family to help us when we need it. We live in this world of Instagram, social media, where everyone's life has to seem perfect. We don't want to show anyone our mess. We don't want to seem vulnerable. We don't want to show weakness. It's all smiles all the time. We won't let anyone into our mess. One, because we either won't show them our mess or two, even if they see it, we won't let them step into our mess and help us when we need it. I remember a few months ago, my wife, Brittany, and I were going through a hard time. It was one of those times where everything was going wrong at once. Anybody ever been through that? We had car issues and dog issues and medical issues and all kinds of stuff all at one time. And there was a couple in our church body who wanted to help us, help us financially. I wouldn't let them. No, you don't need to help us. I don't want charity. And I remember so vividly, I was in my living room on the phone with the husband and I'm talking to him and I remember him saying, yeah, I had to learn a long time ago to not let my pride get in the way of receiving help. My pride was in the way we just like Peter have to humble ourselves to receive verse 10 Jesus answered those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean talking about Judas verse 12 when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what I have done for you he asked, So pause, time out. Do we understand what you've done for us? Let's take a second to look at what Jesus did. Jesus got up from his position. He was at the head of the table, right? He was the one at the most honor. He got up from his position and he took the posture of a servant. Remember, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, got it on his hands and knees, and he did it so that he could pour out the water and wash the disciples' feet. He washed their feet, he talked to Peter, and then he took his place back at the head of the table. Okay, Jesus, yes, this is what you did, we get it, you washed our feet, it was a little weird, we didn't think you should, but you did it, we get it. But see, in the middle of Jesus washing their feet, he had this conversation with Peter, and it's pretty obvious that Jesus is not just talking about washing feet, he tells Peter, you don't understand what, you don't realize what I'm doing, but you'll, later you'll understand. If he was talking about washing feet, there would be nothing to not understand about this. And then he talks about bathing your body and, and washing and being clean. It's obvious he's not just talking about washing feet. Like usual, everyone was seeing the physical things, the washing of the feet, but Jesus was talking on a deeper level. Jesus was trying to show them and us something more. And there's two things that Jesus was showing us here. And the first one was the gospel. Jesus was pointing us to the gospel. Mark 10, 45 says that the son of man, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew what was about to happen, remember? And so he said, I want to give my disciples a beautiful visual of what I came to do. I came to be a ransom for many. So do you understand what I just did for you? Well, let's look at what Jesus did. Jesus knew his identity as the son of God, 100% God, right hand of God, stood up from his position. And he came and he postured himself as a servant. He postured himself in the form of a man. Son of God became son of man. 100% God became 100% man. He took on flesh. Why did he do it? To pour out his blood, to not wash our feet, but to wash our souls. He poured out his blood. He died on the cross. Well, he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead Because all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. And then he took his rightful place back at the right hand of God and continues to live for us. That is the gospel. Jesus was showing us the gospel. Now, the book of John was written about 60 years after this probably happened. But you can see sentence by sentence, phrase by phrase, word by word. John vividly remembers this. And I believe he remembers it so clearly because it was so shocking and because it is the perfect visual of the gospel of Jesus. And maybe this was the first time you have seen the gospel so clearly like this. Just as the disciples did not deserve for Jesus to posture himself to pour out and wash their feet, we do not deserve for Jesus to posture himself and be poured out to pour out his blood for our sin. Every single person in here is full of sin and shame. None of us deserve to have a relationship with or be in the presence of a perfect holy God. So the perfect holy God comes from the position of the right hand of God and he becomes flesh. And he takes on flesh to go through all the suffering and all the temptation and all the pain that we all go through, yet he remains sinless. He continued to obey the father perfectly because we can't. So that when he poured out his blood, he would be the perfect sacrificial lamb. His blood would perfectly cover our sin. He would perfectly pour out his blood and quench the wrath of the perfect holy God. God stepped down to do what we can't. And then he rose from the dead and he took his rightful place at the right hand of God and he continues to intercede on our behalf so that when people put their faith in Jesus, Jesus steps in and says, nope, debt's paid. Sin's forgiven, they're mine. Blood covers it, blood covers it, blood covers it, forgiven, accepted, approved. That is the gospel of Jesus. And he was giving us a beautiful picture of it. Jesus was trying to show us something more. He was also trying to show us our response. He was trying to show us how to respond to the gospel, how to love as he loved. Look at the last few verses in the story. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus was saying, I just set you an example. I have humbled myself, died to myself to not just wash your feet, but to die for you. So you should do the same for others. You should love as I have loved you. You should serve as I have served you because I am about to leave you and you will be my representatives. And he said, the messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If I'm sending you and I can die to myself, can't you? Church, we are the representatives of Jesus Christ. People will see and know him by seeing us. Jesus is showing us that when we see what he has done for us, We should do the same for others so they can see what he did for them. The gospel of Jesus should fuel us, motivate us to love and to serve. And to do that, we have to posture ourselves to be poured out just as Jesus postured himself to be poured out. And that's the bottom line. Posture yourself to be poured out. So what does this mean for us? I think that each one of us needs to do some a self-evaluation about posturing ourselves to be poured out, and so I want to I want to ask some questions. The first one is: Jesus knew his rightful place. Jesus knew where he belonged. He knew where he was going, and so he started his last twenty-four hours humbly serving and loving people. What are you going to do with your next twenty-four hours, your life? as Christians, because of what Jesus has done for us, we know where we're going to. We know where we now belong. We don't deserve it, but now we belong there because Jesus, we know where we're going. So what are you gonna do with the time in between? And just as Jesus poured out the water and he poured out his blood, how do you need to pour yourself out? How do you need to pour yourself out? See, Jesus humbled himself and, and washed feet and he, he died for our sins. And then he tells us in verse 17, he says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Because the theory of loving people and serving people is worthless. But actually doing it is worth everything. How do you need to pull yourself out? Maybe it's spending more time with your family, less time at work, less time on your screens more time with your family. Maybe it's, it's instead of, of holding on to all your resources and your, your money and actually be a good steward and be open to giving to people. Maybe it's helping the less fortunate. Maybe it's simply making more use of the question, how can I help? That is such a simple question, but it is so powerful, underutilized, making ourselves available to people. How do you need to pull yourself out? Well, what's getting in your way? Remember, Jesus took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist to take the posture of a servant. Jesus chose to take the posture of a servant. He chose to take the posture of humility. Where are you choosing selfishness instead of humility? What is getting in your way, pouring yourself out? And then just as it started with Jesus, Jesus knew his identity. He knew he was the son of God, right hand of God, returning to the right hand of God. He knew his identity. He knew his position. What is the source of your identity? Is it being in Christ as a child of God, or is it in something else? Your job, your income level, your social status, your neighborhood, your ethnicity, your comfort zone, your talents and abilities, your relationships. What is the source of your identity? Because I think that so often we let our identity be wrapped up in so many other things. And our pride won't let us love and serve as we should. Because we say, no, 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 no. If I do that, then I might lose this identity. But as followers of Jesus, our identity is wrapped up in Jesus Our identity is in Christ and what he has done for us. And that is something that cannot be taken away from us because it was not earned by us. We as believers should love from a place, a position of being infinitely loved by our savior. And so if we're gonna posture ourselves to be poured out just as Jesus did, we have to answer these questions. What are you gonna do with your next 24 hours, your next week, life, How do you need to pour yourself out? What's getting in your way? What's the source of your identity? Let's be a church. Let's be a people who posture ourselves to be poured out because that's what Christ Jesus did for us.
1: Wow, I don't know about you, but this message from Drew McCullough was a sobering reminder of how I need to be emptied of me and filled with Christ in order to be poured out into the lives of others. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard clearly what Christ came to do for you. As I mentioned earlier, Drew is student director at High Point's East Church Campus. If you've got questions, why not email Drew at drew, D-R-E-W dot McCullough, M-C-C-A-L-L-A at highpointmemphis.com. Well, that's all the time we have on today's Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for listening. I'm Byron Tyler. Bye-bye.